Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, thank you that you do hear our prayers. So even now we ask that you would come among us by your spirit. Mold us and shape us. Conform us to the truth of your word and to the image of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Well, you may be seated. <clears throat> Good morning, everyone. Good to see all of you on this Columbus Day weekend. Um, I'm still mentally adjusting. I know we have a lot of federal employees in the Baltimore area, but Columbus Day just wasn't a big holiday up in Maryland, and um, you know, most businesses weren't closed until I came here as rector. I never had Columbus Day off in my life, <laughs> um, but it's wonderful. And but. Glad to see you all on this holiday weekend, and I would invite you to take out your Bibles or devices with Scripture on them, not to play games, but to look at God's Word. And um, focusing primarily this morning on our reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 19, and the, today and the following two Sundays, we will be doing a stewardship focus. Um, also, just to let everyone know ahead of time here, Bishop John will make his annual visit to our church on Sunday, November 1st, which is actually All Saints Day, November 1st this year. So we will be having still one service with confirmation. And then following the service, outside weather permitting, we will have a socially distanced uh, church gathering picnic kind of a thing with packaged hot dogs, packaged chips, bottles of water so that folks can pick up their food without a lot of contact and stay socially distanced. And we're going to do, just so you know, separate registrations for that and for the event after the service and for the service, knowing that there may be some folks who aren't comfortable right now coming to an indoor event, a worship service here at the church, but may be comfortable coming to an outside event. So more to come on that, but just kind of getting that on everyone's radar because it's not that far down the road. <clears throat> Our reading this morning from St. Matthew's Gospel is a difficult or hard saying of Jesus. And any of us who have been around for some time have probably heard a range of perspectives and interpretations regarding what is said in this passage. This encounter with the rich young man is also recorded in Mark and Luke's Gospels. And this encounter is, is somewhat unique because most, of, most questions about faith that people in the Gospels pose to Jesus are typically posed by people in desperate situations, in dire need. Whereas this young man is clearly wealthy from a temporal perspective. The question he asks is this, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? That wasn't an unusual question in that day to pose to a religious teacher. And it's not an unusual question to be posed in our day either. That this rich young man asked this question of Jesus is an indication of the respect and the esteem that this young man has for Christ. And Jesus' response initially to his question is this. Keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. Specifically, he is referring to what are called the second tablet or table of commandments. Those commandments that address our attitudes and behaviors toward other people, toward our fellow human beings. What is known as the first tablet involves our behaviors or our heart attitudes toward God. No, the gods before me, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, those commandments. 
The rich young man boldly states that he has kept the commandments, but then he continues by asking, what do I still lack? There's a clear sense in him, a sense of still lacking something, that he is indeed looking for something more than what he has or has experienced at this point. And the issue here is one of the heart. And this rich young man, if we look at this interaction between him and Jesus at this juncture is still very much thinking in what I would call transactional terms. What do I mean by that? He is still very much in the line of thinking of if I do A, B, and C, then I can expect God will do this. Or worse yet, if I do A, B, and C, then somehow God is obligated or bound to respond in a particular way. It's a formula. He's viewing how he relates to God as some sort of a contract or deal. And this young man, sadly and tragically, typifies a mindset that has been prevalent in every era of human history. What do I need to do through my actions to get right with God? This kind of thinking, this transactional kind of thinking is still very much alive and well in our day as well, where people have this idea, if I do A, B, and C, or if I do this good work or that good work, and the good outweighs the bad, then somehow God is obligated to let me into the reality of eternal life. I even saw a number of years ago, Tim and I, it was a children's curriculum that was actually being used on a lot of evangelical churches. Um, and remember, they were talking in this curriculum. Tammy had a copy of it for a reason. And I'm not going to name who it was by, but we're not going to use it at this church, I can assure you. Um, but it defined a covenant in this way for children. A covenant is a deal you make with God. And if you understand anything about the nature of covenant with God, if you understand the basis of it in even the ancient Near Eastern Old Testament culture, that is not at all what a covenant with God is. Because a covenant is something that God enters into and swore by himself. It's not a deal we make with God. Perhaps some of us are still trapped in this kind of transactional thinking. But that kind of thinking, it makes God very small in a way that doesn't reflect the God of the Bible, the one true God. And it attempts to depict ourselves, human beings, as much bigger than we really are. I like what W.D. Davies and Dale Allison in their commentary on Matthew say about this text. Jesus transfers this man from the market to the road and implies that he must take a pilgrimage Instead, make a pilgrimage instead of a purpose, or excuse me, purchase. Let me read that again. I just botched it wonderfully. Jesus transfers the man from the market to the road and implies that he must make a pilgrimage instead of a purchase. It's got to move away from, from, from the transactional to a life of discipleship and obedience to God. The issue here, it was a matter of the heart. 
It was a matter, it is a matter of surrender. We see this throughout scripture. What do we see in the gospels in Jesus' call to his first disciples? Follow me. What do they do? They leave their nets, they leave everything. And they follow Christ. That's what we see in the call of God to discipleship, to Christian discipleship down through the ages. Follow me, leave everything and enter into a life of godliness that is a pilgrimage. But that life of discipleship is a matter of who is really and truly in control of our lives. This, this is the issue here. So what is the solution? If keeping the commandments as dutifully as possible is not enough, what is it to which Jesus is calling this rich young man? In Mark's record of this event, in response to the young man's question, Jesus says, you lack one thing. In Matthew, Jesus is also recorded saying, if you would be perfect, verse 21, if you would be perfect. And this is in continuity. This whole account is in continuity with Jesus' teaching earlier in Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5, 48, Jesus says, You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. But it's not as if Jesus somehow is calling this man or any of us to earthly perfection through human efforts. That's not the nature of what he's talking about here. What Jesus is calling him to and is calling us to only comes through surrender, full and total surrender to Christ. Jesus' call to this young man and to every single one of us is full and complete surrender. Referring to this passage, Martin Luther said this, one thing, that 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 is what you lack is everything, for you would be devout, and yet you refuse to give up your goods for my sake and to suffer with me. Therefore, mammon or money is your God, and you prefer it to me. Jesus does not simply demand a portion or even all of our financial resources. He demands everything. He calls for all of us, the entirety of our being. Clement of Alexandria, that great early church father writing in the second century about this passage says this. He does not as some conceive offhand, bid him, referring to the young man, throw away the substance he possessed and abandon his property, but bids him banish from his soul his notions about wealth, his excitement and morbid feeling about it, the anxieties which are the thorns of existence, which choke the seed of life. God called this rich young man to full surrender, a submission of the heart and death to self, something beyond human efforts and capabilities, something that requires the grace of God, as we're reminded in John chapter 1, But to all who did receive him, referring to Christ, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And then continuing in verse 16, for from his fullness we have all received grace 
upon grace. What Jesus is talking about here is something which is holy by God, holy of God, holy by God's grace. So that this young man's allegiance is transformed to an allegiance that is Godward, that an allegiance that is toward God fully. By grace, the work of God in his life manifested in total surrender. And out of that place of surrender, loving, loving obedience. When God's commands no longer for him or for us are a burden, but they are a joy. As we're reminded in 1 John chapter 5. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. If Christ is indeed indeed King and Lord of our lives, then we are called to be wholly surrendered to him. Craig Keener in his commentary on Matthew's gospel about this says this, full surrender includes possessions, our lives, and even our identity. Because Christ is now our life. Not only in this temporal realm, but for all of eternity. Our identity is now in Him. In the one who is our all and all. And when we respond to Christ's call to fully surrender to Him as His disciple, we are no longer governed by those things which choke the seed of life, as Clement of Alexandria said. I like that imagery. Those things of this world, those things of mammon and money, which choke the seed of life in us. And the question for you and me, just like the young men, is who or what do we serve? Who or what do we serve? Pause for a moment, each one of us, and think about that and ask ourselves honestly, ask the Lord to show us who or what do we serve? Like the young man, do we simply want a teacher? Or are we willing to respond to the crawl of Christ, to surrender to Christ in full life-transforming obedience? When we come to that place of full surrender as a disciple of Jesus. We're like those early disciples. When Christ says, follow me, we leave all to follow him and lay it at his feet. When Christ is Savior and Lord, and despite what some people teach, you cannot have one without the other. Then our whole perspective is transformed by God. Because he is at work in us by his Holy Spirit. And we're reminded of the words that St. Paul wrote in our reading from Philippians this morning. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That comes through full surrender to Jesus. Whatever situation I'm in, I have learned to be content. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. 
when, we, when our understanding is from a gracious God perspective, then we come to understand the Spirit of God reveals to us in a profound way that everything we have is indeed not our possession. Even our own lives, even our own identity. We come to understand that as disciples of Jesus, we are simply stewards or managers of all that is entrusted to us to execute our master's will and obedience. Stewardship is not about money. Do we talk about money with stewardship? Yes, we do. But it's really not about money. And that if we think it's about money, our thinking is erroneous. Stewardship is about surrender. Stewardship is about obedience. Stewardship is about laying down all that God has made us and entrusted to us at the feet of Christ so that we can take those things up according to God's will, walking in God's ways and God's obedience in a way that nothing chokes the seed of life in us, but that those things become used for the glory of God and actually become seed to sow the life of God in us and in those around us. So as we begin this series, the call is not to give a little bit more. The call is not to do a little bit more. The call is to surrender. To surrender to Christ. So that he is our all in all. And then by his work of his spirit in us. As he gives us the ability by the Spirit and by God's grace to obey His commands and live a life of obedience conformed to the image of Christ, then all of these things in our lives are aligned with the heart and the will of God because we surrender them to Him. And as we do that, as we become faithful stewards in obedience by God's grace, there is no limit to the capacity of that which God will entrust to us. I'm not talking about earthly riches, but about the things of God's kingdom to serve him for the glory of his name. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your incredible grace. That it is not by righteous works which we have done, but by your mercy that you have saved us. Through the washing and regeneration, renewal by the Holy Spirit whom you have poured out on us generously through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And I pray this day, Father, that you would bring each of us to a greater place of surrender in our walk with you. That we would be pilgrims on a journey that you have called us to, a journey of discipleship, of yieldedness, where we recognize everything that we have and all that we are, the entirety of our being is by your gracious hands. And you call us simply to lay down all of these things at your feet and follow you so that you can transform them for your kingdom. Lord, take away from us, have mercy and forgive us for any time that we have thought in any way, even subtly or subconsciously of works righteousness or entered into some sort of transactional thinking. Because all of this is by your grace. So God, by your grace, work in us and conform us to your will and your plan and your purpose. 
And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.